0: Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Well, hello there, Revelation Church. My name's Rich. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Revelation Church. It's great to have you with us. Um, I hope you have uh, enjoyed your morning so far in hubs, blessing one another, celebrating Jesus together. Um Uh, It's nice to be back in Hubs um, after our Together Sunday uh, for Easter Sunday last week, um, which was fantastic just to be able to see some familiar faces, catch up with uh, people, uh, maybe on the chat um, as we're doing that. Um, But today uh, we're going to be uh, in Joshua chapter two. We're starting a new series uh, after Easter um, and we've called this series Entering the Promised Land. Um, It's about the people of Israel uh, entering into the promised land. Now, the sharper amongst you might notice that Malcolm two weeks ago finished in Joshua 1, finished the last series, Life in the Wilderness, in Joshua 1. And here we're starting in Joshua 2. So in one sense, it's kind of a continuation of the story. But in another sense, actually, this is a very defining moment in Israel's history, as we'll see. Um, And actually, it's a very significant moment. Um, and, and it feels, for the people of God, it feels like a new beginning or a new start. And we read about this right back at the beginning of the Exodus story. Uh, we looked at it in Exodus 3 um, and verse 8, where God called uh, Moses out of the burning bush um, and he says to him he says I have come down to deliver them that's my people out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey and so God promised as promised to bring them out into this new land Forty years, the people of God have wandered around the wilderness um, waiting, and now they've been brought to the edge of this promised land. um, And they're finally, after 40 years, about to inhabit the land. Except actually, the promises are slightly older than that. I say slightly older, hundreds of years older than that. In fact, we read in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14... God actually speaks to Abraham and actually talks to him about delivering him out of in, in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. God says to Abraham, then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great Possessions. That's talking about uh, Israel's release, if you like. That's talking about Moses leading them out of slavery in Egypt. And then in Genesis 15, verse 18, God says to Abraham, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so God's made a promise to Abraham that his descendants, his family, the people of Israel, his household are going to inherit this land. So this is epic. This is hundreds of years of God's promises being fulfilled. They're standing on the verge of the promised land, ready to enter in and inhabit it. They're standing on the verge of these promises being fulfilled. They're standing on the edge of history. Interestingly, Israel have actually been here before. In almost exactly the same position. Some years earlier, when they were wandering through the wilderness, Moses was leading the people and they got to the promised land. And we read about the account in Numbers 13. And it says that Moses um, uh, sent out 12 spies into the land to scout out, to see if the people of Israel could take the land. And what we see is actually 10 of those spies come back and they give a bad report to Moses. Uh, In uh, in Numbers 13, verse 31, it says uh, they say this to Moses, we're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. They can't do it. Two spies came back and said, actually, this is this is of God. God is with us. We can take the land. One of those was Caleb, who tried to persuade the people that now is the time um, and yet um, was shouted down by the other 10. The other person um, was Joshua. It was Joshua that we read about in the book of Joshua. So Joshua, if you like, has gone full circle. He's been at this point before. He's been on the verge of the promised land. And here he's revisited again. And what does Joshua do? Well, we're going to read together um, and we're going to jump in at Joshua 2. The way we're going to do this, I'm going to read a few verses um, because it's quite a long chapter. And then I'm going to um, summarise some of the events that happen and then we'll read a little bit more and then summarise a bit more and then read a little bit more. OK, so we're going to jump in with we'll reverse uh, one, first of all. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly to Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And when they went um, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And at this point, the king of Jericho catches wind that these spies have come. And so he sends word to Rahab and says, look, give these men up. Um, We know they've come to scout out the land. They've come to try and infiltrate. Come on, give them up and uh, we'll deal with them. Um, And Rahab uh, has basically hides the men. She hides them in her home. Um, She puts them on the roof and and hides them away. And then when people come, she says, oh, you're right. Men did come, but they've gone now that uh, in fact they've just left they've just left the city actually if you catch up with them you might be able to catch them and so the king's men the king of jericho the king's men run out of the city after these two spies And then we pick up again in verse uh, eight before the men lay down she came up to them on the roof and said to the men i know that the lord has given you the land in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab then acknowledging this, then pleads with the spies and says, look, I've I've given you shelter. I've hidden you away. Look, when you come and destroy Jericho, will you spare me? Will you spare my family? She pleads for her father, her mother, um, her brothers and sisters. Um, and the spies say, sure. They say, look, you've dealt honourably with us. We, we, we You've helped us out. And we want and we will we, we will spare you and we'll spare whoever is found in your house um, and we'll let them live. And uh, they give her this condition to that. She puts a scarlet rope um, or a scarlet cord in the in the window um, and uh, that, that it might be a symbol to leave that household. Um, but they say anybody who's found outside of the household, that's on them. That's their responsibility. And. Um, but anybody who's in your household will be safe. And she lets them down out of uh, a window, a window where they tell her to uh, hang this scarlet cord. Uh, she lets them out of the window. Um, and then we pick up again um, in uh, verse 22. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then The two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And it's in this final verse that I really want us to land today. Verse 24. You see these two sentences, two key sentences, as the spies bring this good report back. They say, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away before us. You see, Joshua's been here before. And actually brought a fairly similar good report back to Moses. And yet there were 10 spies that shouted louder and the people of God uh, became fearful. And uh, and and here we see um, an interesting thing with with these two spies. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. The foundation for their success. Is rooted in what God has spoken in what God has promised, in what God has said to them, they don't put their confidence in a strategy or a plan; they put their confidence in God. Now, don't hear what I am not saying. Strategy is important, absolutely, but it must be it must be planning, it must be strategy, it must be um, it must be vehicles and methods that are rooted in faith in God as He leads us. The people of God, we see throughout the 40 years in the wilderness, they followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. People would have to have been organized and arranged to be able to all move together. And that's part of those gifts is being able to gather people together, to tie things together and carry the people of God forward. But the people of God never went before the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. They never planned or 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 or, or went ahead and, and strategized about what God was going to do. They were always living by faith in response to where God was moving. And I think of our own journey into location hubs. Actually a big part of that is is we feel God's spoken and so we move. We follow him. We follow his leading. And we've always said that we're not sure where this ends up. We're not sure of the end goal. We're not sure what God will lead us into. We're not sure of the route ahead. But as we trust God one step after another, we believe him to unveil and unfold his plans before us. We engage our faith to then be able to to plan accordingly, according to what God has led us into. We mustn't get it the wrong way around. It's a very dangerous place to be. The second thing uh, that we pick up on in this verse 24 um, in the second sentence is, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Interestingly, this is almost a direct opposite of, of what the spies said in Numbers 13. In Numbers 13, uh, they said, well, um, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And in Numbers 13, again, uh, the, 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 the 10 spies come back and they say, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. And this statement here in Joshua 2.24, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Where in Numbers 13, the spies couldn't get past the obstacle of these giants in the land, they called them, and we just looked like insects compared to them. There's no way we could even compete with them. There's no way we could fight those guys. This is almost a reversal. The inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. They're inconsequential. They're a minor bump in the road to the plan and purposes of God. And I wonder if God set this up, because we read, didn't we, that Rahab basically fed back to the spies and said, look, the people are in fear. They're terrified. They're petrified that you, the Israelites, are going to come and invade and take over. And I wonder if that was God's grace to Joshua. If that was God's way of just affirming and confirming what he was doing at that moment in Israel's history. And I think it also speaks about perspective. When we look at the physical issues and obstacles ahead of us. We can often lose sight of what God has said, the plans and promises that God has spoken. Here's what I mean. When we see the magnitude of some of the obstacles, just as they did in Numbers 13, we can be tempted to think this is impossible. We can't overcome this. But when we actually understand our identity in God and we understand who we are as God's people... We understand how big God is by comparison to our obstacles, and we realise that actually God will lead us through. God will make a way. We mustn't be distracted by some of these big things that look so impossible. Let me give you a practical example. So, if it, it moving forward, we can get so concerned with tick, with um. With the practicalities, what happens as we come out of lockdown? What happens if we can meet together? Where do we meet? We've no longer got a contract with the Irish Centre. What like? We haven't got a venue. If we were to meet back tomorrow, (laughs) we've got nowhere to meet. And some of these practicalities can start to fill your mind and they can cause you to get anxious, worried. But no, no, no. We must remember that God is so much bigger. He is a God of the impossible. He's the creator of all. He's the almighty God. He's the one who spoke creation into being. And he's led us on this journey. He's led us into hubs. And so with faith, we can say we will continue to move forward. We will continue to put one step in front of the other, trusting that any bumps in the road, he will work out. Any details that need sorting, he'll do it. It's in one sense a quite a scary place to be, but it's also the safest place to be. Trusting God as he unfolds his plans and strategies. In fact, if you were to try and orchestrate how the Israelites would take over uh, the promised land, you might uh, try and do some numbers about manpower, about weapons, about And things like that. And yet, if we fast forward a few chapters to chapter six and the fall of Jericho, well, the people of God, they march. They're silent. They sing. They shout. They blow their trumpets. And the walls come down. Well, (laughs) that's not that's that's not a usual strategy for battle. That's not an ordinary strategy of how you find victory. And yet, as Joshua and the people of God are obedient to what God has spoken, God brings about the victory. God brings about supernatural victory. And we can trust him that all the inhabitants of the land melt away. That all the obstacles in front of us melt away. And so just as we, uh, I just want to remind us, Of some of the things that God has spoken to us at Revelation Church, that we would keep our eyes fixed on what God has said, on the direction that we're moving, and trust that God will flesh out the plan, the strategy, the process, the method, the vehicle for how we get there. And so we feel God has spoken to us about raising up 300 big people. Big people in terms of stature, in terms of faith. Um, In terms of people that can shoulder responsibility um, and advance the kingdom. Second of all, we feel God's called us to be an Antioch base, a resourcing church, a church that blesses the wider body beyond the walls of Revelation Church. Thirdly, we feel God has called us to plant churches across North London, postcode by postcode. And we feel God has called us to plant churches across the cities of the world. And so with that ringing in our ears, we take steps forward in faith, trusting that on this journey, God unfolds his plans before us. And maybe you're listening today and perhaps you're not a believer. Well, I think this point of of decision really is relevant for you too. Perhaps you're uh, in a position where you feel as if you're waiting for everything to get sewn up to, waiting till you feel like you, 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 you've kind of got all your ducks in a row, waiting until you've got things sorted out or you've got this particular area of your life uh, just so. Once you've dealt with that, then you can become a Christian, then you can come to God. Actually, the Bible says that as men and women, we're imperfect, If you wait, you'll be waiting a long time. There's always areas of our lives that need work. The Bible actually says that that imperfection acts as a barrier between us and God. It breaks the relationship between us and God. And God desires a relationship with us. You see, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that he could live a perfect life. The perfect life that we never could. And in doing so, Jesus traded that perfection, his perfect life for our imperfection when he died on the cross. You see, that's why he had to die for you and for me. So that actually his perfection might be traded and he would take on our imperfection. That's why by receiving Jesus' death on the cross as a gift to us and trusting in his resurrection power at work in us, the Bible describes it as being in Christ. We're raised to new life in Christ. And so now clothed in his perfection, we can come into relationship with God. And if you want to take that first step, The Bible calls us to bring all of our imperfections, our shame, our wrongdoing, our guilt before God and acknowledge that we turned away from him. And instead of trying to sort that mess out ourselves, come and put your trust in Jesus. A helpful way to acknowledge that is even to try and name those areas of imperfection before God. And ask that he would come and clothe our imperfection with his perfection. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gift of life to us. Lord, we thank you that you do clothe us with your perfection. And Lord, those areas where we struggle. But even those areas where we still struggle. Maybe areas of uh, not wanting to let go not being able to see beyond the impossible, those areas of anxiety and worry. Lord, we just come and surrender them to you, Lord. And we just uh, come and receive your gift of perfection to us. And Lord, put our trust in you afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to hand back to your hub leaders now. Bless you um, and take care.